is a blue. You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. In this town, you're out of luck. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. And you're not moving anywhere. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. Take you out of this place, someone you can We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Well, good evening and welcome to In Conversation. Now then, tonight's guest has won the FA Cup, the European Cup Winners Cup, two Football League titles. Uh, He started life in the red half of Liverpool, but ended up very much in the blue half of Liverpool. He was born in Wales, but played 46 times for the Republic of Ireland, scoring nine goals, including his country's first ever goal in the World Cup Finals. Who am I talking about? Well, it's none other than Kevin Sheedy. Well, good evening, Kevin. Thank you ever so much for joining us. It's uh, it's quite an honour to have a uh, an Evertonian with the record that you've got on the show. So welcome to the show. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Jolly good. Uh, I want to start with something that's uh, puzzled me a little bit. You, you, you often hear in football that um, Manchester United, for example, would never sell a player to Liverpool. Um, and I assume that there are other sort of examples of that, possibly Liverpool selling a player to Everton, and yet you obviously broke the mould because you were sold by Liverpool to Everton. Does, does, did that happen at the time, or was it that uh, because you were sort of relatively young that, that they didn't sort of recognise what was going on? Um, well, I signed for, for Liverpool when I was 18. Um, I was playing for my local team, Hereford United, and I went along to watch Liverpool against Bruges in the European Cup final. Yeah. Um, not as supporter, just a mate of mine got two tickets, so I went along, saw Katie Dagley, scored the winning goal, and um, three weeks later I get a phone call from my chairman at Hereford United, Peter Hill, to say that they've uh, accepted a £100,000 bid to go and sign for Liverpool. Um, so uh, I'd seen the best midfield in Europe at the time, Ray Kennedy, Graeme Souness, Terry McDermott, Jimmy Case, mm. and I knew it was going to be a difficult task to, to break into that side, um, but I travelled up to Anfield. I uh, met Bob Paisley um, and reluctantly signed a four-year contract um, and, you know, became a Liverpool player. Yeah. Um, you know, was there any sort of resentment amongst the fact that when, when you eventually got sold to Everton? I mean, you know, Everton fans getting funny, well, we can't have a Liverpool player here, that sort of thing. Um, well, obviously, there was a little bit of that, but um, I was in gigs in, in Anfield and I used to go and watch um, Everton play their midweek game so I saw the team that Howard Kennel was putting together um, and as I say I'd signed a four year contract and they wouldn't release me until my contract was out um, and as soon as my, my contract was, uh, had ended uh, I got a phone call off Howard Kendall 
to see if I'd uh, be interested in signing for Everton. And at that stage, only one person had moved across from Everton to Liverpool. That was Johnny Morrissey. So I was the sort of first one to go from from Liverpool to Everton at the time. Obviously, years later, a lot more players did make the the jump across, but. Um, Certainly, there was a lot of pressure on me. I realised that the Everton supporters would be thinking, well, if I wasn't good enough for Liverpool, why should I be good enough for them? So, um, I had a good pre-season. Uh, I hit the ground running. My first few games, I did quite well. So, I won the Everton supporters over quite early, which was which is very important. Yeah. did you, I mean, are you a Liverpool supporter or an Everton supporter? I suppose you're an Everton supporter now, but uh, were you then? Um, well, at the time, when I was a young lad growing up, uh, Man United and Chelsea were my favourite teams. George Best and Bobby Charlton were my heroes growing up. Yeah. Um, so, I was a bit both. But, um, obviously, when I played for Liverpool, I did my best for them. Obviously, I had more success at Everton. I was there nearly 10 years. So, um, obviously, I go to the, the Everton games and, and support them now. Yeah, obviously, I've been played for them for so long, sort of thing. But but yeah. we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit. But I, I I wanted to ask that before I forgot to mention it. Um, so anyway, you were born in 1959 in Wells in Wales. Now uh, I know Wells fairly well because my, both my parents are Welsh, and during the, the when I was a kid, obviously we just got on holiday down in that sort of neck of the woods. So uh, um, hey on why and round there, do you know it? Yeah, I moved from born in Bilth, but I moved to Hereford, and that's about six miles from from Hay, sort of thing. So. So that's, that's yeah. the general area uh, where I grew up playing in fake six-a-side tournaments all around places like Hay and Peter Church. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was the, the start of my football career. And uh, your youth career was at Hereford Lads Club. That's an interesting name, Lads Club. Um, um, you know, how, how did you find things there, and at what age were you at that uh, particular club? Um, I was about, as I say, I used to play in local fates and all that, sort of like 10, 11, 12-year-olds. Yeah. And then... Um, one of our coaches was a scout for Hereford, um, and he did our team at the Lads Club, so I played in a, a real competitive league there, uh, the Forrester Dean League, so it, it uh, taught you to, to toughen up quite early. And um, I used to go training with Hereford on uh, Tuesday and Thursday night, and when I was just 15, leaving school, um, John Phillip was the manager at the time, and um, he offered me an apprenticeship. Um, and, you know, I started as an apprentice, there was only six of us, and we used to do all the jobs, uh, sweep the, 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 the ground on a Monday after a game, we'd weed the pitch, we'd do all the washing, clean all the kit, the, kit, the boots, everything, all mm. the jobs, you know, and we, we, we all loved it, you know, it was a great ground for me and a good education. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Hereford were, you know, in their time, were, were quite a successful side, weren't they? I mean, I know they, they've hit hard times lately, but, uh, you know, at the time, they were the giant killers, weren't they? They were. I mean, obviously, everyone remembers Ronnie Radford's goal against Newcastle. That was slightly before my time. Yeah. Um, but it was a really good team. We, uh, The team, I, I made my debut in the last game of the season when I was 16 against Preston. And Hereford uh, won the um, third division championship that season. So it was a, a real successful. And it was great because there were a lot of senior players. Um, and they, they, they all looked after me. And, um, you know, we got promoted to the, the old second division. Uh, we were punching above our weights. Really, um, I made my second division debut at Fulham, uh, Craven Cottage, um, where, where George Best, Rodney Marsh, and Bobby Moore were playing. So to come on to onto the pitch as a, a young player playing against Bobby Moore would win the World Cup, and one of my heroes, George Best, growing up. So to be on the same pitch with them was was a, a real uh, great moment for me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Manchester's pretty average side, wasn't it? Really, Best, Marsh, Bobby Moore. 
I mean, who are they? Yeah, <laughs> he got beat five one on the day, but um, they totally outclassed us. But uh, it was just a great experience to be on the, on the same pitch as those, those great players. But as as a youngster, I mean, you know, how did you feel? I mean, did it did it? Well, it must have affected your game in some way playing against players like that. I mean, you know, were you hesitant, for example, if you had to go in and tackle Bobby Moore or something like that? Well, funny you should say that. My first, um, I came on as a sub. There was only one sub in those days, and uh, our centre forward, um, he broke his fractured his cheekbone. So I was on straight straight away, fractured off. Um, no time to think about it. And my first part in the game was to to go right through Bobby Moore and foul him, sort of thing. So he yeah. sort of looked at me and smiling like uh, the innocence of youth. So no, once once you get on the pitch, you just you just do the best that you can. You're not in a, yeah. you, you respect the players, but you're not in awe of them. And what about George Best? Did you get to know him at all, or did you know during the day? I mean, was he was he sort of aloof, or was he sort of one of the lads? How did it work? No, it just it was just a game, and once the game's finished, everyone you know goes their own way. You get changed, and we're back on the bus back to Hereford. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but it, it was a full house there. So I'll always remember, you know, it, when you're playing in, in big atmospheres as a young player, um, you know, you want to you want to be in that situation all the time. You want to play in big games. You want to play in front of the big crowd. So. Uh, I was learning all the time and, um, you know, as I say, it was a, a great education for me at Hereford. Now it's time for the first of Kevin's musical choices and coming up we've got Yellow and All Over the World.
ELO there and all over the world. Well, we've talked about the transfer to Liverpool. Um, uh, what happened when it came to moving from Liverpool to Everton then in 1982? Uh, it was, I was playing for Liverpool Reserves at the time and we played in the Central League. And the four seasons I was there, we won the Central League four times. It was proper uh, reserve games. Yeah. And it was the last game of the season. And I was playing for Liverpool Reserves against Preston. And I was at my digs in, in Anfield, and there was no mobile phones in those days. It was just we just had the house phone, yeah. and the phone went, and it was Colin Woods, who was a reporter for the Daily Mail at the time, and he said, "Would you be interested in uh, signing for Everton? Uh, Howard Kendall would like to talk to you." So I thought it was a wind-up from one of the lads who was trying to work out who it was, sort of thing. And Colin said, "Put the phone down, and Howard Kendall will ring you." I put yeah. the phone down. Thirty seconds later, the phone went, and it was. Uh, Howard Kendall, mm-hmm. and uh, he said he's coming to watch me uh, the next day against Preston. Uh, he heard I was a good player and just wanted to see for himself. And if he was impressed, then you know he'd like me to sign for Everton. So I think in those days they called it tapping up, sort of thing. Like you know, managers weren't supposed to do that. That sort of thing went on, and uh, I must have done all right in the game. And a couple of days later, I got a phone call of Harry Cook, who's the chief scout at Everton, to say to come to Belfield and, and sign for Everton. So. Um, I didn't have to think about the move at all. It was you know, perfect for me. I didn't have to move house. Uh, I knew exactly uh, what I was going to. I saw Graham Sharp make his debut, Kevin Matliff um, make his debut, Agent Heeks signed from Stoke for 750000 So I could see that Howard Kendall was putting a, a young side together with good quality players. So uh, it was an easy decision to make. Um, now you, you won the FA Cup with, with Everton. Uh, who was that against? Uh, that was against Watford. I missed the game, actually. I, um, we played in the, the Milk Cup final against Liverpool, uh, the first ever all-Merseyside derby. Yeah. Um, and I ruptured my ankle ligaments in the, in the second half. Uh-huh. So that put me out for the season. So uh, I missed out on the actual final itself. But it was uh, uh, really important, you know, when you look back at the, the history and the team that we had in 85. Uh, that was the real start of uh, winning the FA Cup, being, getting into Europe for the Cup Winners' Cup. Um, that was really the start of, uh, you know, the, our successful team. Yeah, yeah. And uh, European Cup Winners' Cup, uh, any sort of outstanding games that uh, you can you can pick out from that campaign? Yeah, I mean, um, there were some good teams in it. Um, and we, we played by Munich in the semi-final. Uh, we played away the first leg. Uh, we got a great result, nil-nil over there. And then we came back to Goodison. Uh, it turned out to be the best atmosphere I've ever played in in my career. Uh, there was about 55,000 Evertonians there, and um, we got beat one nil. They scored just before half time, and you could hear a pin drop as the ball hit the back of the net. Yeah. In the second half, we were kicking towards the Gladys Street, which was our our main end. And um, Howard Kendall just said at half time, "Just get at them." He said, "The Gladys Street, they'll set the goals in for you." And ten minutes into the second half, we we scored. Uh, Graham Sharp scored, and then five minutes later, Andy Gray scored. Um, and it was a, a real tough game. I mean, they were physically strong. Uh, we had some strong players in our team, so it was no, not for the faint-hearted. And um, we ended up getting the third goal later on in the game. Trevor Season scored a great goal, uh, and we beat them. And that was really the final. Uh, we played Rapid Vienna, who, who weren't in the same league as, as Bayern Munich. So we, um, we, we beat them 3-1. Uh, I scored the third goal, and unfortunately, that was the the last goal Everton have scored in Europe uh, because of the obviously the 
the Heysel ban and all the team, English teams getting banned from Europe. So it was um, it was a great moment. But obviously, looking back, uh, we never had the opportunity to compete in the, the European Cup as it was then. No, what, what because of the Heysel one, the ban? Yeah, uh, yeah. All the British teams got banned. Yeah. So that was uh, that. You know, we we had a, we had a, a really good team at the time, and uh, if we weren't good enough to win the European Cup, then you're not too bothered. But the actual side that we had. Mm. Um, we were capable of winning it, so that's a, you know when you look back when your career is over, that's one regret that uh, we never competed in that. Well, you, you you played for Everton for ten years, um, according to my source of Wikipedia, which is usually wrong. Uh, they reckon you played two hundred and seventy-four games and scored sixty-seven goals. Does that sound about right to you? No, it's um, three hundred and fifty games and ninety-seven goals. Oh, is that all? Um, oh, they're not far out then, are they? <laughs> I'm in the top ten of Everton's all-time goal scorers, so there's only the likes of Dixie Dean, James Sharp ahead of me, all the strikers. So uh, I'm the top scoring midfield player, so that's a, a record I'm proud of. Oh, that's, can't be bad then, uh, Kev, can it? I mean, Not at all. No. And what did you say? It was 350 appearances and 95 goals. How could yeah. they be so far out as that? I mean, that's nearly a hundred. That's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Right, well, let's make a note of that anyway. So, you know, going back through that 10 years, any sort of particular games that stand out in your memory as being, uh, you know, a bit special for some reason or other? Um, well, the one I just mentioned, Bayern Munich, but actually in a league performance, um, we started the season in, in 85 and we were playing Man United at Goodison and they were getting touted as to winning the league. They had a real good side. Yeah. Um, Brian Robson... Gordon Strachan, Frank Stapleton, uh, Jesper Olsen, um, Paul McGrath. Um, you know, they, they had a top team and we played them on that day and we beat them 5-0. Uh, it was the best team performance I'd played in. Uh, I scored two goals, but we absolutely battered them. They, they got away with 5-0. Um, and that was the day when I think it gave all our players confidence that we knew we were a good team and we were capable of winning the league, uh, which we went on to do. So, But looking back, that was that performance sort of epitomised uh, you know what, what the team and how we played did you play in the I'm just trying to think which year it was now um, on, uh, when um, Norman Whiteside curled that uh, the single goal in and we beat you 1-0 yeah that was in 85 that was to, that stopped us doing the treble we won the league we won the Cup Winners Cup and then that was the last game three days after uh, the Cup Winners Cup um Kevin Moran got sent off that That's right, yeah. the, um, the game. Uh, it was the referee, I can't remember his name now, but it was his last game, so he wanted to go out with a, yeah. uh, a mention sort of thing. So, And we were all, if you look at the actual game, when Kevin made the foul on Peter Reid, all, all, all our players went to the referee to say, don't send him off. Do you know what I mean? We didn't mm. what we wanted, but uh, the referee made his mind up. And that's sort of um, sometimes 10 men, um, but on the day... Uh, it was a great goal by Norman. It was the only place he could he could put it to beat Neville, um, and that was it. So we, you know, it was a brilliant season for us, but obviously ended on a on a sour note, losing losing the final. Yeah, more music now. This time it's Paul Weller, and that's entertainment. <laughs> A police car and a screaming siren Pneumatic drill and ripped up concrete A baby whale and a stray dog howling The screecher breaks and lamplight blinking That's entertainment That's entertainment 
A smash of glass and the rumble of boots An electric train and a ripped-up phone booth Play splatter walls and the cry of a tomcat Lights going out, a kick in the balls I say that's entertainment That's entertainment Pissing down with rain on a boring Wednesday Watching the news and not eating your tea A freezing cold blacks and death on the walls I say that's entertainment That's entertainment Waking up at 6am on a cool warm morning Opening the windows and breathing in petrol an amateur band rehearsing in a nearby yard Watching the telly and thinking about your holidays That's entertainment That's entertainment Dreams of smoking cigarettes, cutting a warm girl and smelling stale perfume. A hot summer's day and sticky black tarmac. Feeding ducks in a park and all she knew a far away. That's entertainment. That's entertainment. Lovers kissing amongst the stream of midnight Two lovers missing the tranquility of solitude Getting a cab and traveling on buses Reading out graffiti about slashed up fears I say that's entertainment That's entertainment Paul Weller there, and that's entertainment. I was playing with Peter Reed, like, because he always struck me as being a, a, a real character, especially after we saw that uh, that documentary that he did with uh, Sunderland. Uh, was he that sort of a character? Yeah, he was a strong character, Peter. I mean, we had we had quite a lot of strong characters. I mean, Kevin Rassif was the, the captain, but certainly there was players in the team would let you know if they didn't think you were, you know, doing what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, Peter was really strong in the challenge, in the tackle. Um, he used to, you'd know, if he was going for 50-50, that 99% of the time he'd win the ball. So you could just move forward. So when he did win the ball, uh, you were ahead of your opponents and, uh, you know, you could get the ball. So you always... You, you always look to see what your your teammates are capable of doing, uh, and you react after them. And nobody was a he's a great character, um, you know, had his injury problems sort of thing. But certainly when he was he was fit, as he showed that he played for England, um, and a, a great captain and a great lad. 
What about Andy Gray? I mean, he, he was uh, at the time was at, at the you know height of his powers. I would have thought, and he he scored a lot of goals, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, Andy came you know later on in his career, um, still hungry, still had the desire to do well, and he had to be patient because <coughs> Agent Heath and Graham Sharp had formed a partnership, and Andy was you know wasn't able to get into the team, and then Agent Heath got a, a bad injury. Um, he'd done his ACL so he was out for the season and that gave Andy the opportunity and um, you know he was a great player for us a great target man brave as a lion I mean he just he'd, I'd be crossing balls from the left Trevor Stephen be crossing them from the right and he had him and Graham Sharp attacking the ball so they they, they put fear among the defenders and they were a real handful um, so yeah so Andy was a, again another strong character like Peter and um, you know you need those type of players in your team if you're going to be successful and win things. So come 1992, uh, you left Everton. Um, any particular reason for that? Um, I was sort of I was in and out of the team at that stage. I was coming towards the end of my career, but you, as a player, you always think you can you know you can carry on. Yeah. And um, I didn't like not being in the team, uh, being a sub and all that. I, I just wanted to play. I realised that I didn't have long left in my career. So came to an agreement with Howard Kendall, um, and I was playing for Ireland against Wales. And just before I left the hotel, I got a phone call from Terry McDermott, who I knew from my Liverpool days. Yeah. He was assistant manager to Kevin Keegan at Newcastle, right. and he said, "Would I be interested in signing for Newcastle?" So um, I played the game against um, Wales. Uh, we won two one, and the next day I travelled up to to Newcastle and, and signed straight away. So you know, you know, I didn't have really much time to think about it. I knew that it. Kevin Keegan had taken over. I played at St James's Park. I knew the passion of the supporters, um, so it was a. It turned out to be a great move for me. Uh, we stayed up the last game of the season because we were in a relegation battle, and then the next season went on to win the the first division championship. So you know, I knew to finish my career with another medal. Uh, some great memories, you know, of Newcastle. Was uh, Mick Quinn there at the time? When he was there at the time, yeah, a prolific goal scorer. I think yeah. he scored about 30 goals that time, but he was, you know, he was just a, a target man, but any 25 yards out, and he, he could score for fun from outside the box and inside the box, and another great character. Yeah, great character. He did an interview with me similar to what you've done, and, uh, you know, instantly you just felt, A, you felt you'd known him for years because he's just that sort of friendly guy. But, uh, yeah, he always is, yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he was quite a lad as well, you know. Just good stories to tell, that's for sure. What was Kevin Keegan I like as a boss? Game, so uh, so I know Quinny very well. So yeah. yeah, he's a funny lad as well. Yeah, he is. Well, because he he's got interest in, in horses now, and and I, I'm into horses big time, and we do a racing show. So it was uh, it was a good interview in the context that he was talking about football and horse racing. So um, yeah, indeed, that was yeah. good. Uh, what was Kevin Keegan like then as a, as a manager? Um, well, Kevin, he was really enthusiastic. Um, he, he wanted his team to play. You know, they were quite open. Um, but as I say, um, we stayed up on the, the last game of the season in '92, and he made a great decision. He, he signed Andy Cole uh, for two million pounds. Yeah, two million. I think it was Bristol City. Um, and he was only a young lad, um, Andy, but he was—you could see—he was a natural goal scorer. And uh, he had an excellent season. I, I don't know how many he scored, but certainly uh, we won the opening ten games. So we, we put ourselves right at the top of the league. Uh, and I don't know how many points we won the league by, but the football we played and Andy was was a, was a great goal scorer. So we had a good team there. And it was it was just great to come from um, 
my success at Everton to having a successful period at Newcastle as well. As an ex-Newcastle United player, does it frustrate you to see how they're struggling and you know the whole sort of way the club's being run at the moment? Well, it's, it's obviously the way the, the clubs run, um, but it, I just, you know, it's for the, the supporters who have played in front of them, and they are so passionate, and Newcastle's everything to them, and, you know, it must be hurting them to see, because they should be a lot higher up the table and, you know, competing for a top six place with the, the crowds and the support they get. So, But mm. I'm sure, you know, it, it, it'll come, the, the time will come. Do you think Steve Bruce is the man to do it? Well, it's, I don't really like uh, discussing, you know, with the managers and things because it, I know how difficult the job it is, um, and he's, he's he's done a good job under difficult circumstances. Um, so he's certainly um, he's done a great job them last season, and he started off quite well this season. So fingers crossed that he can he can do a good job for them. Yeah, yeah, I think I personally think he's he's a good manager, but um, he's got a lot of experience, that's for sure, because he's been around enough clubs Indeed. in this time. So. Indeed. Indeed. <coughs> um, so Newcastle, you were there for just a year, um, and then you moved on to Blackpool in 1993. Uh, how did that come yeah. about? Um, again, it was um, Billy Bingham, who's uh, got Everton connections. He was sort of the probably one of the first sporting directors. Um, Billy Hare was the manager, um, but Billy Bingham he, he spoke to me um, and see if I'd be interested in going to the Blackpool, uh, which suited me because um, I had a young family at the time. I was able to move back to where I was living in Southport, and they could go back to the the, the school that they'd left. So um, that was that was uh, one of the major decisions. It was a family decision. Um, then just just to play that the, the the remaining sort of season and a half of my career. So um, it, was, it was it was it was it's probably when I look back, probably some players they finish right at the very top and they struggle to adjust. Um, sort of going from Newcastle down to Blackpool. Uh, and finishing there, I think that let me down a bit gently, sort of thing. So it was made my transition from from being a player to going to coaching uh, that much easier. Yeah, yeah. Now, now during this last sort of ten years, you know, nineteen eighty four to ninety three, you 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 made forty six appearances for the Republic of Ireland. Um, and I take it that Billy Bingham, you had just gone on about now, is he the he was the Northern Ireland uh, manager. He was yeah, but yeah. obviously I was with the the Republic. Yeah, yeah, I, I realise that. Yeah, but uh, so so what about playing for Northern Ireland? I'm sorry for the Republic of Ireland. Let's get it right. Um, you know that must have come as a, you know a real boost to your to your uh, your career. Absolutely, playing, playing for Ireland. Um, it was uh, I was very fortunate to be playing for Everton in the, their most successful period, and the same time going and playing for Ireland, uh, which turns out to be their most successful period. Uh, the 1988 European Championships, the 1990 uh, World Cup. So, uh, some fantastic memories uh, playing for Ireland. What about playing in the World Cup? I mean, that, you know, as a as a relatively young guy going out and playing in the, the epitome of, you know, the World Cup, um, must have been a, a huge honour and a, a boost to your your overall sort of um, standing and your your attitude to football. Absolutely. <coughs> Excuse me. As a young lad, when you're growing up, you obviously you watch, you look at the European Championships, but certainly it's the World Cup, uh, the, the the major tournaments. Uh, but as I mentioned, we, we qualified and played in uh, the Euros '88 in Germany, so that was a fantastic experience. You know, qualifying for that, and then to go on 
um, and qualify for the, the World Cup in Italy. Uh, it's every boy's dream to, to, to get there. Um, so it was a fantastic experience um, playing against England the first game. Uh, Lenica scored and then I got an equaliser. So uh, score of Ireland's first ever goal of the World Cup. So it's a piece of history I'll always, I'll always have. Mm. Um, just some great memories. Um, we beat uh, Romania in a penalty shootout to get through to the, the quarterfinals against Italy and Rome. Um, so for some fantastic games, some playing some fantastic plays, and just you know we look back when your career's over and you say, well, I played in the European Championship and a World Cup. Well, really, when you look at your record, I mean, <laughs> there's not much missing, is there? European, uh, I suppose you could say the Champions League, but you know, you, you FA Cup, European Cup winners' cup, football league titles, World Cup. I mean, my God, that is one hell of a record, Kevin. Yeah, I was extremely. Um fortunate in that sometimes you've got to be in the right place at the right time and mm. sometimes you've got to go through adversary to, to um, enjoy those so my four years at Liverpool uh, improved me as a player um, it certainly toughened me up mentally uh, because things weren't going great for me there but um, to look back at my experience there and come out of it and that, that certainly helped me along the way with my Everton career and certainly you know in the, the World Cup we had a lot of top players playing for top teams uh, with great experience in Europe um, so that certainly helped getting to uh, the finals uh, playing against the best players in the world and, and putting yourself up against them and, and being quite successful because Italy only beat us 1-0 um, and they were the host nation um, so yeah so no, we, 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 did, we did really well and uh, the, when we came back to the Dublin and the open top best around uh, Dublin itself was unbelievable so it was just you know, a fantastic period of, of Irish football Time for some more music now, and this time it is Counting Stars by One Republic. Lately I've been, I've been losing sleep Dreaming about the things that we could be But baby, I've been, I've been praying hard Said no more counting dollars, we'll be counting stars Yeah, we'll be counting stars Signs, seek it out and ye shall find old, but I'm not that old, young, but I'm not that bold, and I don't think the world is sold. I'm just doing what we're told.
that money, watch it burn Oh, but I'm not that old Young, but I'm not that old I don't think the world is sold I'm just doing what we're told Stars by one Republic, and of course, she played in the '88 European uh, Championships as well. So, there's yet another one to, to, to add to your CV. I mean, it, it, you know, as I say, it's an incredible career, really, that you've had. And then you went and ruined it all by going to be a manager. <laughs> How did that come about? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. I said, then you went and ruined it all by becoming a manager. How did that all come about? Um, well, I, sort of when I finished the school, um, I went into straight into coaching. I went to Blackburn Rovers as a youth coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the under 18s there. I had the likes of Damien Duff, James Beattie, Dave Gibbons in goal. Uh, so it was a great um, introduction because they were they were two of the top players. Um, I had about two seasons at Blackburn. Then John Aldridge got the manager's job at uh, Tranmere. So I went with John as assistant. So we were there for about five seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to Hartlepool um, as assistant manager. Uh, we, were, we finished runners up in the uh, third division there. Um, and then I went back to Everton and I had 10 years of youth coach there. So, um, and recently I was over in Saudi Arabia coaching over there. That was a, a good experience. And then I had Stal as uh, manager of Waterford. So I've always been fortunate that I've been involved in football all my, all my career. Do you still uh, keep in touch with people at Everton? I mean, in particular, you, you said that uh, you were the coach for the academy team there, and I know, I, know, uh, I think he's the under-16s manager there, Phil Jevons. Do you know Phil? Yeah, I know Phil, yeah. Yeah, because... Yeah, so Phil was there um, when I was there. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I still got to the games and uh, support Everton, so, um, mm. so, yeah, 
fantastic times. Yeah, no. Well, Phil was Phil was down at Yeovil when we when I was there, and I mean, he was just a just just yeah. a, a magnet to goals. Phil was, and you know, great. And he's a lovely lad. He's so friendly, and he'd do anything for you. So, uh, oh, yeah, indeed, and uh, he's a good coach, so I'm, I'm sure that, um, you know, he'll have a good coaching career as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what about Al Shabab? What was it like over in Saudi Arabia? It must be a bit of a different experience over a, there. It was a, a good experience. Um, I sort of, as I say, I've had 10 years at, um, at Everton, and I just felt I needed to change. I'd always fancied playing abroad as a, as a player, but never really got the opportunity. Um, and a friend of mine was over in um, Al Shabab, so he. Um, I went over there as a sort of uh, under-23 coach um, and we ended up taking over the first team for a period. Um, but it was just the, the lifestyle, it was just something completely different. Um, I really enjoyed the, the experience, um, dealing with an interpreter, there's only one of the players spoke English. Um, but football's the same all over the, over the world. So yeah, that was just um, a bizarre for the time, but I really glad I did it. It sort of helped my be more experienced as a coach and, and look things slightly differently so yeah it was really good um what about the weather and stuff over there it must have must have been you know extremely hot saudi arabia i mean for an englishman over there it must have been difficult to adapt to um we, we stayed in a in a hotel right by the training ground and we didn't train till till the night time till about seven o'clock when it was a lot cooler oh, right. um so we certainly stayed out of the sun um we didn't really um too much during the day. We were just preparing for the the evening. Do uh, the roads are absolutely manic. You didn't go on the roads unless you needed to. Um, it was crazy, but um, you know, just they did prayer time five times a day, so everything would stop. Mm. You could be in a supermarket, you could be in a restaurant, and if it was prayer time, uh, they just locked every. You got locked in the supermarkets. They go and pray, and then come back when they finish. So it was quite bonkers, really. <laughs> Sounds like it, and and yeah. uh, Waterford, obviously, um, Republic of Ireland. Uh, how did that work? Um, well, it was at the right place, wrong time, really, because the day we landed, um, it went into complete lockdown, um, and we were trying to build a squad together. Um, so, uh, one of the owners t- took us over there, so we we put a team together. And after we did there about four months, um, a new new owner took over, so he had um, different ideas, shall we say. So mm. um, that was that. So yeah, no, it was, again, it was a good experience. Learned a lot from it, and I'm sure it'll help me in uh, whatever adventure I go on next. And in the midst of all this, you probably had one of your biggest challenges. Uh, you were diagnosed with bowel cancer. That must have been terrible to uh, cope with. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I'd lost my, my mum to bowel cancer. Um, my dad had had bowel cancer, so it w- was in the family. Um, yeah. But it was just, um, you don't think it's going to happen to you. And I was just, um, I was continually going to the, the toilet. Uh, my wife joked I was spending a fortune on loo rolls. Um, she made an appointment for me to go and see the doctor, mm. um, which was, uh, which sort of saved my life, really. Uh, when I had a, a camera test, uh, they diagnosed me with bowel cancer had the operation, had the, the tumour removed. Uh, so I had a lucky escape. It's, um, I do a lot for eating bowel cancer, so I'm, I'm ambassador for them. And mm. it was, you know, making people aware that if they do think they've got symptoms, is to go early to your, to your doctors or your GP to get um, an early diagnosis, which saves your life. Yeah. And you're quite clear from it now, are you? Yes, indeed, yeah. I keep getting regularly checked, so um, everything's everything's great, thanks, yeah. So I'm in good hands. I'm in three uh, hospitals in Liverpool, so they've been fantastic. So, so 
Yeah, all's good, thank you. More music now, and this time it's the Bee Gees and Night Fever. there from of course Saturday Night Fever and Night Fever so what are you doing with yourself now? I'm just chilling really um, you know obviously as I said I've had periods away um, so I'm just um, waiting for my opportunities to say so just it's got to be the right the right one so um, yeah I'm just doing a lot of uh, work around the house at the moment so yeah just uh, chilling going watching games um, I've got a share in a horse so I've been going to watch, watch him running um, so yeah, all all good. 
Well, we're virtually at the end of the show, and I thought it was an appropriate song to put in at the end of the show. And it's called My Way, which of course Kevin certainly did it his way, uh, by Frank Sinatra. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Regrets, I've had a few But then again, too few to mention I did what I had to do And saw it through without exemption I planned each charted course each careful step along the byway and more much more than this I did it my way yes there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off More than I could chew But through it all When there was doubt I ate it up And spit it out I faced it all And I stood tall And did it my I've had my fill My share of losing And now As tears subside I find it all So amusing To think I did all that And may I say Not in a shy way Oh no Oh no, not me I did it my way For what is a man What has he got If not himself Then he has not To say the thing Did it?
There you go. Frank Sinatra and my way, and certainly if ever there was a footballer who did it his way, it was Kevin Sheedy. And obviously you want to stay in football, do you? Um, that's all I've done all my life, that's all I know, but you never say never, but um, as I say, I'll just see, see what, uh, what opportunity come along and um, you know, choose the right one for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you ever so much, Kevin. Really appreciate it. I'll drop you a text when it's on, and uh, if you do get the uncontrollable urge to listen to it again, you can uh, you can have the option of listening to it as well. But 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 you know, thanks ever so much for talking to us. Really appreciate it. This is Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a blue. And you've been listening to the In Conversation programme with A.D. Hopper. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio. And the reason that you had to care, the traffic is stuck. And you're not moving anywhere, you thought you'd found a friend. Take you out of this place Someone you can lend A hand in return for grace